I invite you to turn with me in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. The first 11 verses of that book, they can be found on page 1690, the Bibles in the benches. We, of course, have just completed our preaching series on the gospel that Luke wrote. And we come to volume two of Luke's writings that are found in the Holy Scripture. Volume two is the book of Acts, of course, also then written by Luke. And it's our privilege to hear these inspired words of the Holy Spirit this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So far the reading of God's holy word. Congregation of Jesus Christ and friends, you must understand that for Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, for him, when he thinks about what happened in Acts, as he has recorded it for us, all of the things that happen in Acts are merely a continuation of the miraculous work of Christ that he had already begun to do in the Gospels. What happens in the book of Acts, what we will be hearing about in the months to come, is no less the miraculous one-time glorious establishment of the multinational worldwide church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's no less that miraculous power that has broken into the world than all of what Jesus had done in the Gospel of Luke. Didn't we see in the Gospel of Luke Jesus demonstrating His power and His authority beyond anything that has ever been seen in the world? He healed the sick. He cast out the demons. He calmed the storms. He made fish in a lake where there were no fish. 
before He arrived on the scene. He Himself, in the culmination of all of His miracles and of all of the demonstration of His power, rose from the dead. All of it was miraculous. All of it demonstrating His power and authority. And what happens in Acts is, not, is the continuation of the miraculous work of Christ after He ascends into heaven to await His final return. That final return that we've been talking about all along, where He will come no longer in piecemeal ways to demonstrate His power and His grace and His compassion and bring in peace and happiness for His people, but He will bring it in its fullness. What is happening is, in Acts, Christ is continuing now from heaven to establish His church, to display His miraculous power until He returns. That's the clear import, isn't it, of verse uh, 1. The way that Theophilus introduces volume 2 of his work to the same guy that he wrote to in the Gospel. In my former book, that's the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And in a sense here, Luke, the grammar, as you can see, is kind of awkward. He doesn't really complete that sentence. The translation here cleans it up for us a little bit, but it says that Jesus began to do and teach. Which means what? That when you read that whole book, it wasn't the end of the story of the teaching and the doing of Jesus. The continuation of that story is clearly the book of Acts. Jesus, just because He has ascended into heaven, is not any longer, or is not, not working, we would say. But Jesus indeed is active. He is still doing. He is still teaching. This time, admittedly, uh, through different kinds of ways. I want you to remember back to the beginning of Luke, and you may want to turn there with me if you're interested to do it, to the introduction that Luke gave to the first volume, to his gospel. It's interesting to compare the introduction that he wrote to Theophilus with the one that he writes in volume 2 in the book of Acts. Many have undertaken there, he says in verse 1, to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. What I want you to see is that in the introduction to the Gospel of Luke, Luke is much more explicit, much more clear, much more direct about his purpose for writing to Theophilus. But since Luke is a volume two, and since Luke is or since Acts is a volume 2, and since Acts is a continuation of the power of Christ at work in Luke, the purposes for which the Gospel of Luke was given are also the purposes for which the book of Acts was written. So when Luke, for example, says to Theophilus, when you are reading about the, the life of Jesus, I wanted to assure you that the things you have been taught about Christ are true, when we read the book of Acts, I want us to also acknowledge the things that happen in the book of Acts also assure us that the Christian faith is true. Explain to you what I'm talking about. I mean, it wasn't hard when we read in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus, for example, came to a lake where there were all kinds of witnesses, all kinds of fishermen trying to catch fish in that lake and they could catch none. And Jesus says, cast down your net and they begrudgingly do it. And what comes up? An abundance of fish like they've never seen. Right? 
it wasn't hard to see that Luke, having done his research and having interviewed the witnesses and having considered all of the eyewitnesses' accounts of certain things that went on there, that that was a clear demonstration of the truth of our faith. The reality of Christ. His power over nature. His power to speak the truth to us and to demand our obedience. Well, the things that we will be seeing in the book of Acts also testify unmistakably to the truth of Christ and to the religion that we have been taught. There are many examples of how Jesus continues to demonstrate His truthfulness and His power and His glory in the early church in the book of Acts, even after He has ascended. As the apostles go forward and they are performing miracles, they are doing it, they say, in the name of Christ to authenticate to the people who are hearing Christ preached even for the first time that He is indeed the Lord and ought to be worshipped. Acts 3.16, it says, We do things by faith in the name of Jesus. This man, they're speaking of a cripple who was healed by them, by the apostles. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through Him that has given this, Him this complete healing as you can all see. And you remember this as we're reading Acts. This is not just some, the fancy of some man's imagination. But this is a man who has done his research, checked his sources, in many cases himself in Acts, was an eyewitness to the things that happened. And he is writing them down as verification, as assurance for each of us that this is true. That Christ's power is real. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, it's describing their ministry, spent considerable time in the city they were speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. You see, Jesus continues to do in Acts the things that He was doing before, although this time it's at or by the hands of the apostles. Acts 13.2, while they were worshiping, and the, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, you remember, Jesus was going around while He was walking on earth, commanding His disciples and apostles to do things. And here we have in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaking by His Spirit to the apostles, still commanding them what to do. Still a demonstration of His hand at work in history. Acts 5, the apostles are arrested and put in the public jail, but during the night an angel of the Lord appeared to open the doors of the jail, and He brought them out. Now, Jesus is in heaven, but He is still doing in the book of Acts. He is still working His miraculous signs and wonders. He is still sending angels. Extraordinarily, you see, not in ways that happen today, right? Today, how do we discern the will of God? We pray, we plead, for Him to give us direction. And we don't expect miraculous signs. We don't expect an angel to appear. Why? Because He doesn't do that anymore. But in Acts, He was doing it in the same way He was working miraculous signs and wonders while He walked on the earth. You'll see in Acts, all along, the Holy Spirit speaking to the apostles. Signs and wonders being poured out in the earth. Because it's that same time when Jesus is active, establishing his multinational church. Speaking to Paul in visions. Standing near Paul in the night and telling him to take courage. 
in the same way that he told the disciples when he stood with them before he ascended to not lose heart. This is all going to be verification to you that the Christian faith is true. As you see the mighty hand of God working out in the history of the early church, it's also going to demonstrate to you that the Old Testament prophecies continue to be fulfilled in the book of Acts. This was one of Luke's concerns as he wrote to Theophilus at the beginning. He says, look, I want you to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Fulfilled, meaning everything that I am going to tell you, Theophilus, about Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and about what Jesus is doing and teaching in the book of Acts can be traced back to Old Testament prophecy which expected him and expected this work. It's demonstrated in many ways throughout the book. I'll just raise one of them to your attention. As the apostles are preaching about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, they don't present it as some accident or too bad that it happened, but they present it as the fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture and Christ's mercy to His people. In fact, many of the things that the apostles preach about are all talking about how Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament Scripture. It's to verify that the the Christian faith is true. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God who has broken into history and demonstrated His power. And not only His power, but His compassion and His kindness to His people. What Acts is about is the continuation of the miraculous work of Christ after He ascends to the heavens awaiting His final return. It's no less the miraculous doing and teaching of Christ than what happened in the Gospel. What does this mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach in Acts as the demonstration of the truth of our religion? Well, I'll offer just one thing to you at this point and we'll return to it at different points throughout the book of Acts, it's simply this. We are people who live in a very skeptical age, aren't we? And in some ways, that's a good thing, isn't it? Because religion or religious people are certainly prone to believing things that are merely fantasy or fiction, right? Religion in many places in the world, many places in our own world, is merely something that is made up to try and explain or to answer things that people can't explain or can't answer. And you know how gullible people are to believe almost anything these days, right? We don't have to shy away from that as convicted Christian people. We understand that religious people can be very gullible and that religious claims can't just be made in a vacuum and because somebody says something is true, therefore it is true. But in spite of the fact that we live in a a questioning age, in an age where we are called to defend or give an answer for the hope that lies within us, as is fair for people to ask, I want to remind you this morning that the record in the Gospel of Luke and the record in the book of Acts, the powerful demonstration of the work of Christ and the results of that work cannot be explained by vain philosophical ponderings or psychological speculations about why people 
followed Christ. They cannot, you cannot explain away sociologists who don't believe in the gospel, the power of Christ, cannot explain away how a pagan peoples all across the known world would here proclaim an outwardly weak message. The foolishness, Paul calls it, of the cross. How do you explain that these alien people who have no natural inclination to believe this Jewish monotheism business, whose whole economy and whole life and culture centered around false gods. And what is Paul offering them? Really nothing, right? He's telling them, outwardly speaking, he's offering them nothing. I'm telling you, I want you to humble yourself and I want you to confess that you're basically uh, have made yourself worthless as a fallen human race. And I want you to uh, confess your need for the grace of this God who made you. And by the way, when you receive His grace, you're not getting anything in this life. In fact, you're going to suffer the alienation, the persecution of all of the community around you. Sounds like a great message. No, it doesn't outwardly. And when you see the demonstration of the power of the apostles, and when you see the response of the people to their message, you ought to see that there is no other explanation of the powerful expansion of the work and the teaching of Christ into the world, except that it is true and it has been demonstrated in history. God not only calls people to submit to His authority, but He demonstrates His power and His authority and His grace and compassion in history. And as you see the miracle of the Gospel unfolding and being received, and people in city after city after city who would not be duped by a lie or a myth, unless, of course, it had some immediate gain for them, which Christianity simply did not. When you see them embracing that gospel, then you see that you be assured of your faith. You be assured of it. No matter what the skeptics might say, whom we would answer, of course, in other ways too. Jesus continues in Acts to demonstrate his power and authority, to assure you that he is real and right and good. I want you to see also, as we go into the book of Acts, that Acts is the record of Jesus shaping His church through the hands of the apostles. Acts is the record of Jesus shaping His church through the hands of the apostles. Remember, He's not only continuing to do the things that He did before, now as the signs and wonders by the hands of the apostles, but He's also continuing to teach His church. He's continuing to teach His church the same way that He did directly by His own mouth in the Gospels. In the introduction to the book of Acts that we read, he, Luke doesn't make this explicit, but you can hear him refer to it a few times in different ways. Look at verse 2. It says, after, second part of the verse, after He had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen, after his suffering, verse 3, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about 
the kingdom of God. So what do we see here? We see that he's giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. He's what? After giving them convincing proofs, right? He appears to them and speaks about the kingdom of God and then says in verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He is giving them instructions, verse 2. He is appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, verse 3. And in verse 8, he tells them, you will be my witnesses. My witnesses of what? Well, of course, first of all, the glorious works that he had been performing, right? The fact of his resurrection, which he is making sure to show them is real. I want you to testify about the truth of all of the wonders that you have seen, but it's not only that, is it? It's the teaching. It's the instructions that he gives to them. It's the things that he's speaking about the kingdom of God to them. You see, Acts is a record of Jesus shaping his church through the hands of his apostles. He was preparing them for the time when he would ascend so that they would then testify not only of his power, but of the meaning of all of the miraculous power and authority that he had displayed. Right? Because, of course, all of the wondrous works that Jesus has performed are not simply neutral and open to explanation of everybody who wants to import some kind of meaning to them. Are they? No. They have a particular meaning. I mean, we learned what it meant when Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it meant that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ for us when He died on the tree, on the cross. There is no question if any of our debt remains outstanding, how do we know? Because Jesus came out of the grave. We learned that His resurrection meant that God has triumphed over death and that though we will die unless the Lord returns first, we will be raised at His return and receive the resurrection life that Christ has earned for us. We learned that when Jesus came out of the grave, the resurrection meant that He, yes, was the one who had obeyed the law of God perfectly. And that we will be rewarded for what He has done, as if we had done it ourselves. You see, the resurrection has meaning. And as Jesus is going to build His church, when He speaks about the kingdom of God, when He's giving instructions to the apostles, He's telling them, alright, now listen. In the time between my first coming and my final coming, this is how I want you to do church. This is how I want you to do the Christian faith. This is how I want you to worship me. This is how you are to practice and establish the Christian religion. This is what the New Covenant Church should look like. You'll see this all along, that the book of Acts is not just an historical record, although it's certainly that. But it is an historical record that is meant to shape the life and worship of the church of Christ in the time in between his ascension and his return. There are these descriptions at various points throughout the book of Acts. I'll just read one to you very quickly. It's like a summary, a picture, a snapshot of what the church was all about. And these things are not just to be seen as something that happened in the past. But Jesus is, through the apostles, shaping the church, organizing it in a way 
that it should continue to be until he returns. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and would be continued to happen while the apostles were still around. Of course, they were gone after a time and took along with them the performing of miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We have numerous pictures in the book of Acts describing the church. We see the apostles coming into towns and planting a church. And we don't look at that and go, oh, that was great that they did that. How wonderful. We say that and we say, what can we learn from how they did it about how we are to do it today? What do we learn from the worship of the early church that is given to the apostles by the instruction of Christ, speaking to them things concerning the kingdom of God that we ought to now follow? This is prescriptive history. It prescribes for us as a new covenant church how we, through the record of the apostles who received that instruction from Christ Himself, should do church, should do our religion. The sermons in the book of Acts are preaching models. You hear the apostles preaching in the book of Acts. Now, it's certainly true that the sermons that are recorded are not verbatim. Perhaps they're summaries or portions merely of the sermons that are preached on occasions. But they would be models for what our preaching should sound like. If we're part of the same New Covenant Church, if we want to follow the instruction of the Apostles. And there will be other things considered along in that vein. Let's close with this uh, this morning here at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, The disciples were very uh, curious. They asked a question of Jesus in verse 6. When they met together, they asked Him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you remember, maybe, back in Luke chapter 21, Jesus had, while He was in the temple with His disciples, told them that that temple would be destroyed. He said, you know, everybody's all impressed with the outward beauty of the temple in Jerusalem, but let me tell you, Not one stone is going to remain standing in this temple. It's going to be torn down. Now, the disciples, when they heard that, thought back to the Old Testament and they remembered that there were prophecies in the Old Testament about judgment coming onto Israel and the temple being destroyed would be an application of that. But at the same time, they expected that when judgment came on the temple in Jerusalem, the judgment on the ungodly nations would also happen and at the same time that would be an occasion for the complete restoration of all things, for the glorification, right? For the reestablishment of Israel, for the nations flooding in to receive the grace and the glory of God. Punishment at the end, 
tied up all with that great glorification blessing at the end. And when they read the Old Testament prophecy, they thought that it was all going to happen at once. And of course, Jesus gave them some instruction telling them about a delay between the destruction of Jerusalem and the glorification at the end of history. But we saw even in that text that at that point in his ministry, Jesus was still a little enigmatic, a little difficult to understand. He didn't draw them a timeline, did he? He quoted some Old Testament prophecy, referred to the delay between those uh, times in history, but he wasn't uh, revealing to them as of yet uh, the clarity of the timeline, which we see the Apostle Paul and others writing later uh, more clear on. At this point, in verse 6, when they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still expecting... They're still expecting the glorification of the universe to happen immediately. Or they figure they've waited you know, long enough since they first asked Him. We believe that the book of Acts is written at different points in time, but probably published in its final form for the first time in about 70. The year 70. Uh, corresponding to the general period in history when the Roman armies were turning up the heat on Israel. So seeing all the signs of the coming disaster, some years before, the disciples are wondering if it's going to quickly happen that Israel will be restored. In other words, for them, that the glorification is going to come to all the world. Jesus responds by saying, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. He doesn't even really respond in kind to their question. He just says, I don't want you to think about that right now. Now, of course, Jesus knows that there is going to be a long delay between His ascension and His final return. That is, He knows according to His divinity. Because He is God, He knows the times and dates of His own return. Scripture tells us elsewhere that according to his humanity, he was not aware of that. But he says clearly to the disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, I don't want you to be thinking about the great triumph and the vindication of all of the sufferings that I have undergone, the sufferings that to this point you have undergone. I want you to think clearly about establishing the church and being my witnesses. And we'll talk later about what it means that they will receive the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. But I don't want you to focus on the triumph and the privilege and the good things that you will certainly receive in the glorification because right now, in that time in between, you are going to be called to be my witnesses. That's an application for us too in the book of Acts. We are a church that lives in a similar time in history as the early church, we have seen Christ ascend. And by the way, we're not going to say too much in detail about this ascension of Christ as they stand there looking up into the sky as he was going. Why? Because how do you explain that? It's a complete mystery. It's fascinating. It's wonderful. There's a television show, Heroes. I haven't watched the show, but I've seen a, a clip of somebody who supposedly has this power to all of a sudden go up and fast. Maybe you've seen it. 
and they disappear into the sky. Now, I don't know where they go in the show, but I think it's fascinating that we have the technology of someone to portray this image of a man who is standing there and all of a sudden, whoosh, being taken up out into the sky. And that's exactly what happened with Christ. Now, I can't explain it any more than the Scripture does. It's another miracle that was witnessed and recorded for us. But the point is, we live in the same time as that church, after He ascends, but before He returns to bring in the glorification, and we should not be pressing and wondering and asking about when we are finally going to get what comes to us and always be concerned about Christians having the, the strongest say in the world and governments and the rest of it, which, by the way, is not a bad thing, right? We're all, we're all for good politics. What I'm saying specifically is, Let's not be overly concerned about when we are going to win or power that we will have or influence that we will have as the church. And let's worry about as the church being faithful witnesses and obeying the instructions that have been given to us. Jesus is preparing them for the persecution, for the time in which they will be despised and rejected at the hands of the world, when they will be ridiculed for believing the things they believe like you were ridiculed. When they will be called to worship Christ, even when the sword will face them. You want Christ to win. He will win. But we don't know when He will bring into history the fruit of His victory over death and over sin and over the ungodly world. And so in the meantime, relax, Follow the instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful witnesses to Him as a church. And when if you are persecuted or despised and rejected or the culture goes the opposite way, don't be surprised and don't be overly downcast. Work as citizens of a nation or a state or a city to effect change, but do not be discouraged because you are a citizen of the heavenly kingdom which is coming and he will win, and he will be right, and his enemies will be confounded in the end. Meantime, you be his faithful witnesses following his instructions. May God give us grace to be encouraged and assured by the miraculous work of Christ going forward in the record of the early church, spurring us on toward our place in that history. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice and praise you for the powerful work of Christ displayed in history. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings us, assuring us that the things we have been taught are true. Also, Lord, we thank you that you did not leave your church without instruction, that through the apostles and their work and the record of the book of Acts, we may now seek to follow you. And to do that which is pleasing in your sight as you continue to expand your multinational church until you return. Humble us not to expect a great outward victories where we receive the things that are certainly due to us, the good things. But help us to wait for them patiently and in the meantime to give ourselves to your thankful service. For we ask in Christ's name, Amen.